Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good to ride Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up? Welcome to Kicks. We have a legend who's been across the small screen and the big screen. My brother, Michael. Was Poli. How you doing, hey, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, Jamal? Thank you again for coming on, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, man. I love it. Listen, I've listened to your podcast. I, I think it's great. I'm really happy to be here. All right, man. So, like, you're from Rockland County. Like, what was life for you, like, growing up in the outer boroughs of New York? <laughs> um, it was great, man. I love uh, growing up in Rockland County, which is, uh, it's like, if you go over to George Washington Bridge and then up you know, not too far, only about 20 minutes, but it was all suburbia. So, you know, I, um, that's where I grew up. My mother was from the Bronx. My father was from Brooklyn. They, when they got married, they moved up to what was considered the country. And then, um, uh, and then I was raised up there. I come from a big family. I'm one of eight kids and my father had a business in town. So we knew everybody, everybody knew us. You know, it was great. All right, so like before you got hit with the acting bug, like did you ever consider anything else, like fireman, police officer, anything else? No, I never thought that. I I didn't think that way. It was acting came to me early that I wanted to pursue it, whether it was going to be a reality or not, I wasn't sure. But if I wasn't going to do that, I always thought I I would be a chef. I figured somehow I'd learn to, you know, to uh, not learn, just learn to cook, like actually be a chef. My Uncles had restaurants, and I liked that life, so it was good. All right, so like growing up, like you also play like football and baseball, like, and you also manage um, a league out there now. Like, did you apply any of the disciplines from the sports that you played and kind of like applied it to acting? Yeah, you know, it's good. You got some, you've done some good research there. I, um, so listen, I played, I'm going to be honest with you because I know you talk about you know, the NBA and, and, and things like that, you know? Um, so I understand what an athlete is, you know, because I've watched, because I've coached kids. I, you know, I, I coach little league and kids who are older and stuff like that in baseball and stuff. And, um, and I've watched sports a lot more when I was younger, but um, you understand what an athlete is. I was not an athlete. I was a kid who liked to play, you know? So there's a difference. I mean, athletes, you know, they spin, they turn, boom, boom, boom. And I would spin, I turn, boom, boom, boom. You know, so it was, it's a different thing. You know, when you see that, when you see a kid or a player uh, who can, um, you know, just kind of really move like, you know, and everything. So 
but I love to play. And then when I was a kid in Rockland County, we would go to the schoolyard and we would do pickup basketball games and you do football, you know, you play football games and stuff like that. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then in high school, I played football uh, my senior year because I broke my wrist my freshman year. I wrestled, I played football. I did not play baseball, did a lot of softball. We used to do softball all the time. So uh, I wish I could say I was some, you know, elite athlete and then I hurt my knee and I couldn't keep going, but that's not the truth, you know. Um, but I appreciated the discipline it took with my friends who were elite athletes. And then, um, and then as, as an actor, when I was studying acting and, and everything and then moving that way, you're part of a team every time you're in a play. I, I came from the theater. So every time you're in a play, you're part of that team, you know? And the show might run for a month, it might run for three months, but that was your team. So there's this whole thing about everybody, you know, uh, contributing for the greater good and you do your part, you make sure you do your part. And I applied that, it was the same with a film. Once you're doing a film, you're together for three months, but everybody's got to do their part, all the work and all the crew, the actors and everything. So when it comes to, when it came to me, finally, when my son started playing baseball as a little kid, I just applied all of that with, with all the teams I had. And we did really, you know, we did, uh, the kids did really well. When I needed to know more technical stuff, I got guys who knew what they were doing, the high school coach over here and I would, and, and some friends of mine who were actually, you know, who played on a, on a higher level and stuff like that. And I got them to help me coach that way. But as far as, you know, the organizer putting them together, letting everybody know that you're all there for a common cause. I was really good with that because of all of that experience from the stage and screen. One of the first things I ever seen you in when I was growing up was um, Above the Rim when you played, <laughs> when you played the agent. Like, what was it like working with Pac and Marlon Wayans and, and that whole crew? All right, so I'm gonna tell you, you ready, Jamal? It's gonna take a minute, all right? I don't know how much time you've got, but. So I was doing, I had started, you know, like I said, I came from the theater, but then I started doing some films. I think that might've been my second film, you know? And of course, you know, everybody knew who Tupac was, you know? And, but Tupac was a, um, when I went, I didn't know what to expect when I got on the set because all you get is what's in the news. You know what I'm saying? All you get is, you know, and he was kind of getting, they wanted to make him out to be like a real bad boy, you know, kind of thing. And yet, you know, he also kind of played into that a little bit with his music and how he was. So I didn't know what I was going to, when I got on the set, who I was going to be dealing with, you know? Um, but I'm going to tell you what happened. We had a shoot. We got time for this, right? Yeah, we got time. Got it. Right, good, good. You got it, whatever you need to have it. But so we had a shoot. I only had, uh, there was going to be uh, three days on the shoot. And then, and they kept pushing it of like, oh, we're going to do it next week. We're going to do it next week. And then I'm like, all right, no problem. Then they said, it's only going to be two days. And I said, no problem. In the meantime, it was right coming right up to Thanksgiving. So they wanted to finish shooting by that Wednesday. Originally, it was going to be that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then they said, it's just going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, because then there's the Thanksgiving break. Well, Tupac was in the news. He had gotten into some kind of, some kind of, um, Oh, there was some trouble or something down in Atlanta, you know, and that was in the news, you know, there was something that happened with him down in Atlanta, some kind of dust up with people down there. So boom, it's in the news. Now in New York City, everybody knew he was shooting this film. And then, um, 
And then there was some other incident that happened right after that. Something happened at a concert or something. So I'm reading the paper and then they're telling me we're going to do three days and they're going to do two days. And I'm, you know, you can put two and two together that something else is going on. Anyways, they ends up doing one day. So they had to jam the scenes into one day, which were only a couple of scenes. They got rid of one scene. So it was only a couple of scenes. And it was really tight when we got on the set. When I got on the set, it wasn't a huge movie budget-wise. But when we got on the set, it was down in a village, West Village. We were shooting in this little place that's supposed to be a nightclub. And um, outside, there's a whole bunch of fans, a lot of, lot of women outside, like across the street kind of thing. And uh, but inside is a small place to pump in the smoke and the music. And unfortunately, at that point, I guess because of the troubles prior to the uh, Bond guy, the movie Bond guy was on the set. Now, you know what a Bond guy is on a set? Is it like a Bale's, a Bale's Bondsman? Something well, like it's well, you know, in a similar in a sim similarly speaking, what happens is when you when you do a movie, you got to be, it's got to be insured. So you get the money, you get your stars, you get your money, you get this, everything's together and you're going to start, but you got to have your movie bonded in order to make sure that you complete the film. So a bond company comes in and goes, we'll guarantee that the film is complete for this amount of money and what have you. And almost always, you know, the movie is completed at that time with that money. But if they think that there's trouble, the bond guy shows up and he's like, that's it. You got, you did two takes. It's enough. If the director goes, I want to do another take. Bond guy went over. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, we're going to move on because you know, time is money. So it got to that point. Like they needed to make this, make sure this film got finished just because of these things that were happening outside, you know? So again, I don't know what to expect when I'm, when I'm going to meet uh, him. I only know what's in the news, you know? Um, but I have an open mind about all of that. I don't believe half of that shit anyway. But um, I go in there. We're in this dark little club, smoke. Everybody's crowded in. It's supposed to look like a big nightclub. My, I play Richie, I think. is, And I'm like, you know, I ask him, you know, I asked the kid. I think it was Dwayne Martin was the actor. who was really good. And he's, um, you know, well, what kind of shoes you wear? What size you wear? You know, because I got shoes to give him, you know. Uh, not in that moment, but uh, anyways, uh, and then I meet Tupac, Tupac, he's the nicest guy, well-spoken, he had these eyes that were so deep, and I'm looking at him, and he says, hey man, nice to meet you, that big smile, and I'm like, this ain't nothing like what's been in the news, and ain't nothing like that, I, and, and you know, not that I had a, a, a preconceived notion, I'm just kind of going off of they're moving the dates. They're doing this. The Bond guy's here. There must be trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, couldn't have been nicer, man. Well-spoken. Knew his stuff. Boom. Every time we did a take. Same with, the, I think it's Dwayne Martin was his name. Same way, you know. I mean, really, you know, uh, professional and everything. But when the take was done, you know, he disappeared. And he'd run outside, you know. Because I guess there's women outside, but you know who was there that day? Flavor Flav was there. So he was visiting. So he was outside. So he, so when I say on this, it wasn't an undisciplined. It's just that when you when you finish your take, they got to move the camera. Takes 10 minutes, could take longer. Boom, he's gone. He's outside seeing Flavor Flav and who's ever else is down there. He come back in, hit his mark, go straight on. 
and do his stuff. So I, I, you know, my experience with him was like solid, professional, really great guy, terrific energy. I understood completely all the charisma that 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 uh, that, that young man had. I say young man. I was younger then, so I was the young man, but he was younger than me, you know. And um, and then I'll tell you something else that I haven't told anybody. Because of all the tension in that room and all the smoke and the stuff and everything like that, I started going up. Going up means you're forgetting your lines, you know. And the last thing you want to do if you're if you're on this thing for a day is to go up on your lines, you know. I had them down. We did them. We rehearsed them. We shot it a few times, but then. That, there was just like a lot of tension in the room and stuff. And then I started going up on my lines and uh, um, which does not happen to me, you know, I'm kind of known for not ever going up on my lines, you know, but um, it didn't matter. The guy, Dwayne Martin went with it. Uh, Tupac went with it. It's like, you know, looking right at this is good. We're good. Don't worry. We're good. We're good. I got it. I got it back and got through it. It was the last place you want to be as an actor in front of a camera when you're forgetting your lines. I mean, because forgetting your lines is, your lines, everybody goes, how do you remember all those lines? That's only part of acting. That's like, you know, you need, that's a tool in order to do your acting, you know? So, you know, um, and they just, whatever, it got to me for a little bit. I got over that and then we finished, but again, uh, very generous and everything else, you know? So it was good. If he was still alive and, um, and he lived a full life. Like, do you think um, he would have made the transition to directing and creating films kind of like 50 Cent did or is doing now? I would not put anything past his talent. I, I, I found him to be immensely talented. And I took a greater interest, you know, in after afterwards, because I got to work with him and meet him and know him. So I saw where, you know, listen, you got to, you got to, uh, the answer is yes, I absolutely believe so, because he, I just, he was smart, man. He was smart. He was a smart, I mean, he, he, you know, just in that afternoon, those number of hours, you could tell he was smart. I keep saying well-spoken. I'm just saying that, you know, he was, you know, um, uh, he was, um, I think he could have crossed over into other fields. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I wouldn't have put anything past his talent. He was an immense talent, you know. You know, so. and I think he was just starting to cross over when he passed away. And I think like he would have made a good character on the Sopranos too. Like, and coincidentally, <laughs> like, his good friend, um, his name Bookham Woodbine, he played one of the um, dudes on the Sopranos. Yeah, no, I. So I'm sorry, I don't know uh, Bookham Woodbine, but I was a. Um... I was only on the Sopranos for a little while, and we all knew each other. Like we were, we kind of were coming up at the same time. You know, Jimmy and I were good friends. I mean, good friends. We did a few films prior to that. Mike Imperioli, we did a couple films prior to the Sopranos, and Tony Sirico, who was Paulie Walnuts, and he just passed away, unfortunately. But you know, um, we came from off-off Broadway theater and stuff like that together. So I don't know uh, Book of Woodbine, but. Um, all those guys on The Sopranos, every character that came in and, and, you know, that came on, whether it was for an episode or a couple, few episodes, they did such a great job casting that show. And the writing was just phenomenal. And the cast was just phenomenal. So I'm sure he was great, uh, Book of Woodbine. And like, what do you think about like people kind of like rediscovering The Sopranos because of the um, lockdown from 2020? You know what? 
I love it that they are because I think the I think in 2020 was the 20 year anniversary, I believe. Because let me see. Wait a minute, they shot the pilot. No, it might have been even a year before because they shot the pilot in the end of 97. It went on in 98. Wow. So maybe the 20 years was a few years ago. But um, I started binging on shows I never watched before during that. And if anybody who discovered The Sopranos during that time was, you know, I mean, that would have been, that, that was lucky. That was, you know, to find a good show like that because there was some crap on TV. They were pulling out stuff from the vaults like that they left in there and they forgot about just to fill you know, just to put some content, you know. So once people were able to go around and actually start rediscovering some of those old great shows like the Sopranos series, you know, uh, that's a you know, that's a boon for everybody, you know. You know, like like I watched the Sopranos when when it was on and like I'm not ashamed of it. Like I became one of those dudes that was like overanalyzing like every little thing, like lines, body language, you know, eye contact, all of that stuff. Yeah, because you know why? Because you, this is this is what you are as, as a, you know, you can tell from your podcast, you know, you have this interest, you know, you have this interest and you have the, you know, you observe human nature. I mean, you observe all these things. So it makes perfect sense that you in particular would watch that show and you're saying overanalyze. Believe me, I've had people sit there and tell me stuff about the show, different things. You know, when you did this and you did that, and I swear to God, Jamel, I wish I could say I thought of that. That's what I was thinking of. All I can say is when it's flowing, it's all right there. And that's just as much to be observed and everything. But, you know, some people break it down to like, when you picked up that fork, I didn't thought you're going to do this with that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, good, man. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, it's just that when you when you're flowing, and on certain shows you flow. Not every show is good. The writing, not every show has great writing. You know, I mean, great writing. This is like Smithsonian kind of writing. This is meant to be kept for the American culture. You know, not not every show has that kind of thing. When you know, doing a TV series like with this show, Raising Canaan. You know, I mean, I came on, you know, uh, I came on uh, for season two and I was like really impressed with how well they run the show, you know, because you got to write it, you got to get them ready and they got a certain amount of time to shoot and they put a lot of stuff into it, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, and the actors on the show are terrific and they know their stuff and everybody's got to turn on a dime. And when you go to the producers, the showrunners, the guys who are writing those scripts, they got to be as airtight as you can be. Not every series is like that. So for you to watch something like Sopranos and, and, and have, in a sense, it's almost, now, I don't want to say it's a luxury, but you pick up on all of that stuff because there's so much to feast on, you know? And there's a lot of series out there that there's, a not, there's not a lot to feast on, you know? Because it is what it is. It's kind of paper thin, you know? Has any like real life mob guys ever stop you and say, um, "Oh, you said this <laughs> like that, or, or this was realistic, or that wasn't realistic"? Has that like ever happened to you? Sure, sure, that's happened. Yeah. So I'll tell you what happens. Uh, what's happened through the years? Because I play, you know, I, I play well, you know, cops or crooks, you know, a lot of mobsters and and things like that. And you want to be as real as you can when it comes to all of that. Again, if the script, you know, not every script is as well written as other scripts. So not every script supports you. A lot of times the characters are, you know, 
one dimensional, two dimensional. But when you find a, a well-written script and you can and make really make that character three dimensional, you you really embrace that. I've had guys come up. I've had guys. I mean, often, you know, as I was coming up, hey, hey, you know, he wants to come over here to the table, that kind of thing, you know, the finger like this. And you go over, sit down, you know, have a drink. What I learned is that these guys are, I mean, so the real guys, because we're all just actors, you know, De Niro's an actor and he plays great mobsters and Joe Pesci and everybody else, right? They're not gangsters. They're not gangsters. They're not mobsters, you know. But they really kept capture the you know the um, you know the essence of them all, and certainly the mannerisms and the life as per the script. But they themselves are actors. They're not in that life, you know. So when you sit down with somebody who's in that life, you kind of know it immediately when you sit down. So when I would get asked to come to a table. And they'd say, have a drink. And you say, no, 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 have a drink. Have a drink. Sit down. Come on. Hey, sit down. And be like, uh, okay, so you can't say no. And then I ask for a shot because it's quick. Because if I get a drink, I got to sit there and sip it for a long time. You know, you don't want to be disrespectful. And they and they often, um, well, they wouldn't, nobody's ever called me over to tell me that I sucked at, what, at some show. They, they'll bring up a performance, you know. Or they'll bring up the general, like, you know, I saw you in this, I saw you now, you're good, you're good, I like you, you're good. It always helps if you're good, you know, if they like you, it's a good thing, you know, but you don't want to sit at the table for too long, you know. You just want to say thank you and then leave because they're in the life, I'm not in the life. I've been around it, I've known guys personally, you know, uh, with it and stuff like that. And, you know, you keep, you got to be, you got to remain, the. you're the citizen, and and they're whatever they're doing so i respect that you know you know um jackie senior was one of the few characters that didn't get killed off like um he died yeah. see like do you think because of the way he died like that death kind of resonated more with the general audience you know what i gotta tell you see hey uh, man that's a good question uh Jamal, because lots of people say hey i saw you in france too bad they killed you off and i say they didn't kill me off. I died of natural causes, you know, and uh, that is a distinction because on the show, you know, most guys who died on the show got whacked, you know, they got killed or somehow or another. And um, I knew going in because David Chase said, listen, I want you to do the show. This is the character I got. And um I think originally was supposed to be like a 75 year old guy, but he wanted to, to his, you know, credit, you know, and the genius of the show that he created, he wanted to be more of a contemporary Tony's, you know, and Jimmy and I were friends, you know, um, and um, I said, but he dies, man, I don't want to die. I want to stay on the show. And he goes, well, we don't even know if the show is going to, if it's going to go. You see, David Chase came out of network TV. And network TV, they give you an order for 13 or they give you an order for seven episodes, right? If you should, if you sold the pilot, they say, we'll give you an order for seven or we'll give you an order for 13. But if it went on, if it went on the air and it didn't do well, they cancel it, you know? So you never knew because a full season on network TV was 24, 26 shows. So he came from network TV. So now he's goes to HBO, which was around, but it was not in a prime yet. It was about to be that prime place to work, you know, uh, and create. Um, and um, so he's still thinking what he's known his whole life that they could cancel you 
you know, we have an order, but they can cancel it, you know? So when he asked me to do it, I said, I don't want to, I, I said, I don't want to die. What else you got? Make me a boss from Philly. I come in every once in a while. I'd come up from South Jersey. I don't have to be a regular, you know, no problem. And he said, we don't have anybody like that. This is what I have. And I, I said, well, maybe you could bring me back next year or something. He goes, we don't even know if we're going to be in next year, you know, because he came from that very quick to cancel, you know, show. Um, so I said, all right, I'll do the show. I, uh, you know, I'll do it and everything. So we tried to make it as best we could with those, I think it was three episodes. And, um, and, um, and I think what happened was after the show took off, the Sopranos took off and it became such a juggernaut, you know, for entertainment and quality and HBO became a powerhouse. Um, cause they had a few other shows, but it just kind of gelled right at that same time. Um, I think, um, what they would talk about on the show was Jackie. Oh, when Jackie was here, things were great. Oh, Jackie, if only Jackie was here, we could figure it out. You know, he was a leader. He was this, you know? So I think the character ended up resonating in a certain legendary kind of status because what was going on in the present was so chaotic for Tony that, you know, so every once in a while they would just talk with great reverence about Jackie, you know? So I think that's why it did that. When I was in high school, when we used to watch the show, we used to play this drinking game. Every time Jackie Jr. said, my father this or my father that, we used to shot. <laughs> That's funny, man. I know, because he would have to talk about his father all the time because he had no cred himself, you know. That's Jason Sabone, <laughs> the actor, you know. He he did a great he did a great job and stuff, but um yeah, that's funny. That's true, because that's what we would have to do, you know, Jackie this and Jackie that. My father, my father. And then Tony would only deal with him. The Tony character would only deal with him based on it being his father. But eventually it became too much, and we all know what happened after that, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I want, this, I want the Sopranos to continue, but, like, some of the people, they passed away in real life, but so I don't think, like, a continuation of um, season six would hit as well as the previous. So, sorry, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you can go ahead. So here's, so here's the thing. If you remember, I mean, obviously, because you're a big fan of the show, um, when that, you know, when it was coming down to the end of The Sopranos, it was like people going, out, you know, because I think it was maybe 10 years, but it was just the six seasons, right? So six, right? Yeah, six. Yeah, but it took like, eight, nine years to film it because there was like long stretches of time in between the seasons, you know? So people, the cast and everybody was living that world for all that time, you know? And um, very sought after and, and in demand and that kind of thing. So it came time to end the show. And um, which is good because it's, it's hard to end like, you know, you want to keep going on a moneymaker, but it was time to end the show. Everybody was talking about Tony's going to get killed. They got to kill Tony. Is he going to get killed? No, they're not going to kill him. Will he come? Do you remember that? You probably had the same conversation mm -hmm. with your friends. What oh, did yeah. you I thought um, I thought he was dead when they first did the screen blackout because of the conversation he had with Bobby in the boat. Right, right. Okay. But prior, but prior to the show, prior to that, that finale, the discussion everybody's having is what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to oh, yeah. happen? 
And there was big discussion about, you know, whether they would kill him or not, or, you know, whether he would get killed or what would happen. Um, and I remember hearing a lot both ways, but, and Jimmy never told me anything, you know, cause they kept it a big secret. He never told me, I never asked him either, but um, the thing is like, I'm thinking they can't kill the golden goose, man. You can't kill the golden goose because in a few years when everybody is now rested, cause they've been tired from that stretch of nine years, they're going to say, hey, let's come up with something. You know, let's do it again. Let's do a few more. Let's do a movie. Everybody always said a movie, a movie, a movie. You know, but, and they all denied it. You know, I mean, David Chase and all of that. Like, every, they, everybody involved denied it. But you know what happens. After a few years, hey, look, they brought Gilligan's Island back after 20 years. You know, I mean, everybody wants to go back and visit the heyday a little bit. So there was no, I didn't think that was going to happen. And uh, they couldn't kill when that blackout happened, I was like you or everybody else. I was like, did my TV go off? What just happened? Holy smokes. I actually loved that ending because it left it. I'm like, all the tension build up. She's parking the car. She can't get in there. She's trying to park. The guy comes in, goes in there. It goes into the bathroom. Just the energy was frenetic and everything. I'm like, holy shit. He's living in this world of unsuredness. And I felt it. And then there's that blackout. It's kind of like you fill in the blanks after that, you know? People thought they didn't show it, but he got killed, you know? Like as though that the camera was his mind and then boom, and he's dead. Everybody interpreted it their own way, you know? A lot of people were unsatisfied with the end because they wanted a conclusion, you know? So, because um, we've, been, we've been geared to we've been conditioned to expect a conclusion because we, you watch a movie and there's always somehow it ties it up nicely, or you watch a series and they tie it up nicely. David Chase chose not to tie it up nicely. So I thought that was, that took some balls. So I like that. You know, I kind of thought he joined witness protection because that's what the real life person sort of did. So that's what I, I kind of thought too. And, and that's what I'm saying, Jamel, that could have been the take too. That could have been, and if David decided, after five years or 10 years to write again, you might start with Tony pushing a lawnmower in Nebraska somewhere, you know, you don't know. But the thing was you had, there was anything could happen after that for a future thing. Now, of course, Jimmy may rest in peace, you know, died unexpectedly and uh, it was everybody's shock. And he was a, he was a, he was just a great guy, a very large-hearted guy. Did a lot of charity, a lot of work that he never told anybody about. But you know, you know, did a lot for um, you know for veterans and everything. And um, he went over and he went over to uh, Iraq a couple of times, went to Afghanistan a couple of times. He go down to Walter Reed Hospital. He kind of, for some, he took it upon himself to do those things. You know, he was very generous with that. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't trumpet it out there and tell everybody, you know. He'd help when there was relief centers needed this for Hurricane Sandy, all these other uh, causes. But he would never. It wasn't any publicity for him. He was pretty shy, man. He was. He wanted to be left alone, which is ironic because after he was Tony Soprano, he couldn't be left alone anymore. Everybody's. You see him. Everybody's yelling, Tony, Tony, and like he kind of didn't like that because he's not Tony. He's James, you know. But. Um, but eventually he became, um, he became more comfortable after the show ended. After a few years, he became much more comfortable with his fame. And he was, and, and he really knew how to use it. He really, 
he decided how he could use that. And he was just getting back into doing some films. Um, and then unfortunately he was cut down like that, you know, which is terrible. Uh, I just went to Tony Sirico played Paulie Walnuts, you know, with the, uh, mm-hmm. was one of my favorite characters. And I knew Tony again from before the Sopranos, he just passed away. So we went out, I went out to, was out in Brooklyn. His, his, um, his wake was out in Brooklyn. So he went out there and you saw, you know, you saw everybody who gathered together. It was, it was a private thing. Um, and we've done other, all of us have done kind of other projects together, but we all kind of, it's not like everybody goes to each other's house on Thanksgiving, you know, not at all. And I wasn't on those years of a soprano, but I've worked with everybody, you know, uh, elsewhere. But we all saw each other. It was great to see each other. And you know what I realized when I looked at everybody? Man, we got fucking old, you know, because this was like 20, you know, 20 years and more, 25 years before. And I'm looking at everybody and everybody still looks great, but we all look older, you know? That's what happens. At least we're here. But unfortunately, Jimmy's not. So did you see the new Soprano? Yeah, the Mini Saints of Newark. I took off of work for that. Boy, yeah, oh, well, you did, man. <laughs> I couldn't, Say that again? I couldn't sleep the whole Thursday before because it came out on a Friday. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so I called out of work that whole day. <laughs> and what did you think of that one? I mean, I liked it. I mean, like the timeline was off a little bit because I thought like Syl and Tony was the same age. So, like, yeah, they like were trying I was to overanalyzing as usual. Yeah, but listen, man, I got, I got to tell you, don't uh, listen, don't shy away from what you call overanalyzing because I, you know, I mean, that's that's the eye of a uh, a director. That's an eye of a producer, man. I mean, you know, you want to see you want to see all those things. Yeah. Can we drive ourselves crazy sometimes with, you know, getting two, two, two? I guess so, maybe. But that that's not what it is. If something pulls you out of a film, a play even a song, you know, I mean, you're listening and some, that don't sound right. That note's not right. That's not overanalyzing. Something's, something's not, something's not gelling in that moment. I, I didn't go to the movies to see it. Um, so Jimmy's son, Michael Gandolfini is in there playing young James, you know, playing young Tony. And I was doing a show called the deuce for HBO for a few years. It was a three year show. And Michael came on in the second season to play uh, Chris Bauer's son. And I knew Michael when he was little, but then him and his mother moved to California. So I didn't, I hadn't seen Michael not again until, you know, Jimmy passed away and he was only, I think 13, maybe 14. And I have to tell you, he was, he spoke at, after Jimmy's funeral mass, you know, he spoke afterwards when we all went to this one restaurant you know, big place that opened up for, and, um, and I'm like, he would not remember me because he was two and three when I met him, but, um, then he moved to California, but he was spoke with, uh, such poise and respect about his dad. You know, they were together when he died in Italy, you know, and, um, just super, super nice kid. I go, wow, this kid's great. Anyways. Um, then he came on and did the show. <laughs> you know, a few years later. And then, you know, we traded stories because he knew of me and about me from, you know, um, well, I guess maybe his dad, but other people around his dad and stuff. And he did a great job on on the deuce. Anyways, while we were filming the deuce, I'm telling you all this shit. I'm just rattling. You tell me when to shut up, all right? Um, 
he he was while we're doing that he went and met with david chase because david chase was going to do the movie to play young tony and i'm like what's he even got to meet with you for like in my mind i don't say this because you know every actor's got to go through the process and he was all excited and stuff and then he finally finds out he has the part and you know and he told me that the, sh the, the film was not about Tony, see, when the film was coming out, I bet you you might have thought this too, that it was about, you know, Tony or the young Tony or, or something like that. It was a whole different set of gangsters, you know? And he told me, he said, ah, I got my football uniform on at some point. We just, you know, there's a little bit of stuff that goes on with me, you know, in there, but it's more about the Moltisantes. It's about this guy and the other guy. So anyways, when I went and saw, when I saw the film, and everything, I kind of had an idea what it was about, but they were pushing it big time with Michael Gandolfini. He looks like his dad. You know, he's got the same eyes and stuff, you know. And um, they pushed it heavy that way because that was a marketing thing. So I'm going to say this to you, Jamal. I was not crazy about the movie only because I think it had an uphill battle. I, I hand up all respect to the actors in the movie. They're trying to um, the the popularity of the of the series of the Sopranos and how everybody loves it and it's a part of them and stuff. It's hard for those actors in this show um, to um, to get that same kind of you know respect you know for what they for what everybody else had already known for all of those years um, you know because they got two hours to try and convince people who watch the show for six seasons you know to love that you know to love that show so it was to love that movie and i think it was very hard to do you know i think it was it was a hard thing for those guys to do but there was some great work and i thought it was a little bit choppy and i'm not being an asshole but you know i thought it could have been better in certain places that's all man one of the main things i really didn't like because like during the sopranos the actual series they were saying christopher father was a drunk and um drug addict and in the movie, like, like he didn't even touch any drugs, and the only shot I've seen him take was like in a in a social setting. And again, that's you with your observation. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, yes, you're right. That's exactly real. You know, that you're exactly right. So when there's too many of those things, right, something doesn't add up. You know what I'm saying? You yeah, because you wanted, you need to, as a viewer, you need to, and as an actor too. You need to uh, suspend your disbelief, you know, uh, when you're watching something. In order to accept it, you suspend your disbelief. You watch Superman and he flies. You go, okay, the man can fly. I, I suspend my disbelief because you know, you know, because I know men can't fly. But in this case, I'm going to believe it, you know. But once you have too many of those, it's too many chinks in the armor. All of a sudden, the whole project kind of goes, ah, something's not right about the whole film or the whole storytelling and 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 it doesn't add up but you see for you for that that's a real that's a really good pickup i'll tell you what people say to me you know i say when people go they go you were jackie you what'd you play this man i said jackie you know i was a boss i died of cancer but i say i was a boss you know um i don't say i was the acting boss because i was the acting boss I, that's if you go back to that first season, they'll say, you know, I was the acting boss. The guy, the real boss was away, you know, 
But people go, you were the boss. You were Tony's boss. And I said, I was an acting boss. Yeah, I guess I was Tony's boss, but I was the, I was the acting boss. You know, but people don't remember that. They just think I was the boss, you know. But maybe somebody such as yourself would say, would, you know, would know that because you watch so closely, you know. Oh, yeah, it was the old man. I even picked up that book. I think it was a book. I'm not, I think my mother threw it away. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure you mean The Sopranos? Yeah. Oh, oh you, mean, you mean, did it did it give all the details of who was what and who was in there? Yeah, the, the family book. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, no. But listen, just so you know, just so you know, a young Michael has has got his own acting career going on and it's great. Um, And he's real, and he's young, he's like 22 or something like that, 23 maybe at this point. And and he's got the same thing. He's got to deal with everybody else. His father's a legend. So anybody else in that position, his father's a legend. So, you know, they're going to, inevitably just continue to compare him to Tony. But I'm going to tell you this, that he has his very own thing to offer, man. You know, he's got his own thing to offer. Jimmy had his unique thing to offer, you know, and Michael has his unique thing to offer. And it's not necessarily the same, you know. You know, so and, he's he tr- and, and, and he was good in the deuce too. Like that was another show that should have went a couple of more seasons. But that was only supposed to be three seasons. That was from the beginning. It was only a three-season show. That's um, that's David uh, Simon and, and and George Pelicanos. You know, now the the Wire went on until it ended. But after that, they did a number of shows that they only literally wrote that were going to be two and three seasons because then they want to move on to another project. So the, the Deuce was only supposed to be three seasons and it was going to jump five to eight years in between each season you know you know it was five eight ten years and that's what that's the way they did that there was some great actors on that show yeah really actors i like the shows that kind of touch on real life time period new york yeah like yeah like i was kind of hoping that it would culminate like in the 90s when giuliani was mayor well, listen, if they went a little further, I think they ended in 85 or 86, you know, because they were bringing it up to that, you know, that period of, um, you know, the AIDS epidemic and everything. They easily could have kept going another five years to, and, and then another one after that, five, eight years later, it's, you know, um, 9-11, World Trade Center, all of that kind of stuff. They could have kept going, but they had other projects. They were doing a project, um, the third season, they were doing a project called Oh man, it was, ba- it was based on the the plot. The plot against America it was based on a book, and they were filming that while they were filming the last season. So those guys are just—they love to work and tell stories, and they're great guys too. You know, David Simon, George Pelicanos. You know, you know um, upcoming, you're appearing on Raising Canaan, like you said earlier. Like, what's it like being added to that whole dynamic? Well, listen, you know, that show uh, has, has, you know, it's done so well. That is a, um, um, it's such a, well, like they, they're just really tight. Like they know what they want, you know what I'm saying? And they, and listen, I didn't watch Power. I had a friend of mine who was on Power, um, but I didn't watch Power. And um, so I wasn't exactly sure, but these 50 Cent, you know, shows have done so well. And then there was what? Book two, I think, was Ghost. Yeah, 
Ghost. Yeah, and I did you watch Ghost? Mm-hmm. I seen all of them. You seen all of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just you know when I came on the show, I started watching it just to get an idea. You know, I, I watched a few to get an idea what I was stepping into. I'm going, I better know my shit, man, because these guys know their shit. You know, they're ter- you know they're terrific. You know, um, I'm a um, I was when we, when we started doing this one, it was a um, it was a uh, I felt like it was it wasn't the fall. No, it was early. It was still warm out, but we shot it through the winter and 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 there was some really cold night shooting and they um, and um, I'm just trying to think of. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm, I'm going back. I'm trying to think of when I was um, when I started with it, where, what episode? I, I don't think I was in the first episode. I think I'm in episode two. I think that's when my character is introduced. So, and the character Rock is so powerful, you know? I mean, she's just like, you know, she's just so powerful. So I was intimidated, you know? I'm telling, I'm telling you, you know, you know, listen, you know what the thing is, um, when you, um, when you do a show, I mean, I, when I say intimidated, you know, my, it's just that, you know, if you admit to yourself, shit, I'm, I'm a little scared here because uh, these guys know their shit. For me, I don't mind saying that because it makes me have to get up. I, I, I make sure I do my work, you know, kind of thing. Some people go, hey, I ain't scared, I ain't scared. And then, but then you get scared because they didn't do their work, you know. But I don't mind admitting that because, you know, especially with other powerhouse actors, you know, so. I'm just giving you a heads up. The power fans, they're fanatical, like like the Sopranos fans. So, like, so just get ready. Like, Oh, you mean like they're going to stop me in the street? Yep. They see me, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, can I tell you something? The guys on the show, they are like... Um, they are, uh, they must get it all the time because uh, every one of them has their own thing to offer. And it's really important with an actor like me, uh, Patina, you know, I mean, so Patina Miller, when I watch it and I'm going, she's gorgeous and she is, she's got all this stuff going on inside. And she looks great, and she says it great, and she speaks it, and she's like, wow. So when I saw it, I go, I got to go up against her. Holy smokes. So that's why I really want to make sure I have my work done. But um, she must get it all the time. She's a, she's a stage actress, too. She wanted to, I think she won a Tony for Pippin, or she was at least up for a Tony. So she must have a great singing voice. You know, I mean, you're talking about it. Ah. She's great. And then uh, Mikkei Pfeiffer is, is like, you know, look at that. Imagine playing that part, right? I mean, a young, you know, a young, which is all based on, it's all based on 50 cent, 50 cents, um, life stories to a certain degree, right? You know, like if you can import any character from the power universe and place them in, in the Sopranos or vice versa, like who would it be? Like, I think I kind of want to see Paulie in the power Dynamic. <laughs> Paulie Walnuts? <laughs> Just you know, can I tell you something? You would, that would be so funny. Tony Sirico was such a great guy, and he was so funny, and it's really hard to play. It's really hard to play 
like that character was so real and so genuine. And some people would say, well, he ain't too bright or something like that. No, 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 no. He was, he was sharp, he was shrewd, you know, like he, his character and stuff. But boy, could you, he would make you laugh. You know, you notice, you know, the, the, uh, the Pine Barrens episode on the Sopranos where they go down. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you something. It's one of my favorites. And that was in, I think, season two, maybe. Yeah, I forget. Let's... When they get lost and they're going to like kill each other for a packet of ketchup. I'm telling you, man, those things, the, that kind those little details are just, you know, they'd make me, I mean, I would just, I love those things. And to play that, it, they make it look easy, but it, it's not easy, but you know, they make it look easy because they're so good. As far as these characters in power, again, I'm sorry I didn't watch power. But just on this show, I mean, any one of them, look, you'd have two different, you know, cultures that would have to clash, you know? So if whoever went into the Sopranos and vice versa, you know, uh, they would have to, you know, they would have to clash because culture, that that world that each of those shows live in is all about that world. You know, these characters in, in the Sopranos are all shaped by the world they're in. The characters in Raising Canaan are all shaped by the world they're in. So you're taking characters from two different worlds. So whoever goes into his ever other show, they can they can hold it for how hard they are, but um, but they're still going to be a fish out of water. Do you know what I'm saying? They can come visit and be fine. You know. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Tommy Egan? I think he would be good on The Sopranos as a main character. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure who's Tommy Egan. Um, Joseph Sakura. Oh shit! Oh, so you said Joe Sakura? Yeah, no, I know who he is. I've never met him. He's tremendous. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. But like you know, like I say, the, uh, you know, the show Raising Canaan. I mean, is is um, the grit that it takes to be the same way, like on The Sopranos. You know, both of them have it, you know, they each have it, you know, to the hilt, you know, but um, it's just a matter of where, where would the show, yeah, when you think that, wait a minute, that show is called, they shoot that in Chicago, Joe Sikora's show. Yes, in um, Chicago. Yeah, how, uh, do you like that? Do you like that power uh, rendition? It started off slow, but then towards the end, it started to heat up a little bit. Good, man, good. I, listen, man, I like when people are doing well. I like when the shows are doing well, yeah, you man. know. If the shows are doing well, people are working, people are making money, people have people working and people making money. And that's the other thing, like I was saying, when it comes when you're an actor, you know, when you're an actor, you're um, you know, there's the roles that you play, and then people can't help but think when they meet you that that's who you are. Not everybody can um separate the actor from the from the roles they play, you know. Like um, but I mean Patina Miller, she's a She's like this sweetheart, you know, but you watch her as rock and she's like a rock, you know, but she's nothing, you know, she, now she's got a pull from parts of her to make that performance, but that's not her. She's a sweetheart, you know, she's, I mean, and she's like, you know, talented mom. She's, you know, everything else, you know, same with all the other guys on the show, but people mix it up and think, oh, that's what they really are in real life. And no, they're actors in real life. They're regular you know, regular people, you know. When did you start doing this, Jamel? I've been writing since 2000 and I want to say 11. 
or 10 around that time. And I just actually started podcasting during the pandemic because they had nothing else going on. Good, man. So, so back then it was either now or never. Since I had the time, I had no more, ex- no more excuses. There you go, man. You took all, you took the bull by the horns. Good for you. Yeah, that's man, good that's, for you. That's the one thing I learned from Tony Soprano. Yeah, that's good, man. That's really good. So, um, but now I understand when I read up on it and when they sent me some of the stuff, it said, you talk about the NBA? Mm-hmm. Like, do you cover the, I mean, um, do you watch any other um, games? Because every time I go, because no, I go to the Nick games, I see the cat, I see, um, that's not his real name, but I see um, Bobby from the Sopranos and like, like Bobby Bacala. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People that come up to him, that's all they ask him about the Sopranos and this and that. Yeah, that's Steve Sharippa. He's a great guy, man. He's a really great guy. Um, no, you know what? I don't, um, you know, I don't, I wish I could tell you that. That's what I said when they first con. I said, you know, I can't talk about the NBA. I don't know. I, I used to watch baseball a whole lot and you watch football on Sundays and I love watching when the Knicks were in, but you're talking about, I, I think that's the early nine. That's the eighties. And when was Patrick Ewing playing? Eighties, nineties, around that time. Yeah, that's, see back then, when I'm working in the bars and stuff like that, I go and see games and stuff. Somebody say, I got tickets for the Knicks. So I liked it because, you know, they were in there because I'm a Knicks fan, but not a Knicks fan like yourself. I'm like, you know, I mean, I, I want New York to win. That's my team. Right. But I don't pay, I don't pay attention and watch. I saw Michael Jordan play at the garden back then. Oh, I saw him. I swear. To, oh, Dude, can I tell you something again, you know, that, you know, about an athlete, the grace that comes with being an athlete, you know, and you see it with all these players, right? I mean, you can't be a professional athlete unless you have that grace, you know, but I swear to God, this sounds like I'm making it up, but I swear I felt he jumped from the top of the key and didn't come down till the, you know, till the ball was in the basket. It just seemed like he took this big stride. I was like, that's why they call him Air Jordan, you know, because you know, probably in my mind I'm, I'm making much, much more of it, but he would just, I feel like he jumped from all the way over there, not really put that ball in the basket, which has got to be impossible, but um, but you just saw somebody else playing out there that was different, and I knew I'm watching Jordan play, and he was already this, you know, touted as this, you know, this brilliant player, this great player. Um, but I like watching Patrick Ewing play, man. I mean, I, I like the way he played. You know, I like the Knicks then, John Stark, you know, those guys around that time, you know, that were coming afterwards and stuff. I, I like the rules, but I don't watch it anymore. I'm, I wish I wish I could tell you what, but I ain't going to bullshit your listeners, you know. I had a similar experience with Michael Jordan. I know his son, so, like, I was kind of asking his son to, you know, like, introduce me to him. And then, like, when he was coming to me, he was walking. But to me, it looked like he was floating. And like yeah. the whole time I started, I started to panic because I didn't know what to call him. Like I didn't know oh. Mike, MJ, Joy, yeah. Joy, 23. Yeah, no kidding, man. Well, you know what? I mean, it's funny because I'm not starstruck. I don't get starstruck really, but you know, there's a presence around, there's a presence around guys like that. You know, I mean, they carry themselves a certain way they've earned it and and whatever else so there is a bit of an aura that kind of comes around them so it could 
it could throw you off. Like, well, you know, how do I address him? You know, kind of thing. So I met Sean Connery one time jumping off a of basketball. And um, I shouldn't say I met him. I did not meet him. I was in a restaurant, small sushi place on Ventura Boulevard out in Los Angeles. And um, it's a small place and I'm having sushi with my wife and we're talking and everything. And the door opened and I'm like, I just kind of felt some kind of energy. I turned around and there was Sean Connery coming in with us. You know, he was tall, big and, and a, uh, you know, with a, a, an Asian woman who was smaller. And I'm telling you, he just exuded this energy from just from that. Like I kind of felt it and my back was told, you know, um, maybe people don't believe in that shit, but I'll bet you when you saw Michael Jordan, there was some kind of energy coming at you before he came into your space, you know, you oh, just yeah. kept... like once you know, he's in the building, like you feel that energy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And there's, there's certain people that definitely have that, man. There's certain people, you know, I did a movie, um, I'm trying to think, um, I did a sports movie. Well, I did a movie with Bernie Mac um, called Mr. 3000. And, um, and that was a lot of fun. We shot it down in New Orleans for like six weeks. And then we shot it up in Milwaukee for like six weeks. And um, in Milwaukee, who's the guy he was, I think he was on the Knicks, man. I, I, who's the guy who choked his coach? Oh, um, Sprewell? Yeah, he was on the Milwaukee team when we were up there. And Milwaukee's not, you know, it's a big city, but it ain't that big. So when you would go out, you finish your work, you go to the clubs. And he was there, man. And I'm thinking, wow, I was in New York when all of that stuff went on, you know. And uh, I remember, but he too has that, you know, he had a presence, just, you know, he's, you know, he's a professional athlete, what have you, but that was, uh, that was such a big deal in the, and, you know, when that happened and then he, I, he was playing from a, I got to look that up, man. I'm almost positive. That's what it was. And then there, there was a Royce Clayton was a baseball player for the team. Um, and he was, uh, here we go. Yep. Yeah, Latrell. Yeah, he was in. That's exactly it. Milwaukee, nineteen. Yeah, two thousand. Because we shot that, I think, in two thousand three or four. He's you from know, Milwaukee, so you probably just. Oh, he's it. from there originally. Okay. Anyways, first professional athlete I ever saw. I was a. I was a kid. I went. I was at a gym. I, I must have been fourteen and working out in the gym. And there was some um, a guy in Rockland County, and all of a sudden, like this kind of like big dark shadow came because the door was open. A big dark shadow like filled up the whole fucking door, and his name was uh, Jude Francois, and he played for the Bengals, and he was from Rockland originally, and he was a lineman. But I swear that and like the whole door was like blocked when he came in. I didn't realize guys can get that big. You know what I mean? He sounded like a big dude, Francois. Yeah, yeah. Jude, Jude Francois. Jude Francois was his name. He sounded like a um, a good 300-pounder. Yeah, he was huge, man. He was big, too. Yeah, he was big. So listen, um, let me ask you something. I wanted to ask you about the when you do when you do this show, I mean, sorry, when if you're like I say. Um, you know, you put the podcast out, 
podcast out around whatever cast that you might have uh, spoken to on this show when when this show when Raising Canaan um, premieres. I think it premieres this week, isn't doesn't it? Yeah, on Sunday. Sunday, yeah, yeah. And I gotta start watching it, man. I'm busy in the summer. I'm up. I'm I'm going. I'm kind of running around. I'm outdoors all the time. I'm not watching unless I'm watching. What are you watching on? T- what are you watching now? Um, I've been catching up on season one of Raising Canaan because I forgot what happened. Let me ask you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good, man. Yeah. So yeah. Now, I've been watching. Uh, I, you know what? I just finished watching 1883. That Yellowstone, they call it, um, it's just called 1883, but it's like a prequel to Yellowstone. Um, I haven't watched, I haven't watched Yellowstone, but everybody goes, you should watch Yellowstone. And I'm like, all right, I'll get to it. But I like watching a good Western, you know, and this was good, man. I liked it. You watched the show, um, Handman's Tale. I just started watching that. Uh, some crazy no. stuff. Handman's Tale? Yeah. On Hulu. Oh. No, I'll watch it. Is it good? I'm looking for something to binge. Oh, yeah, it's good. I'm on season two now. I, I just started it last month, but. I'm good, man. I'm going to watch it. I'll turn it I'll turn it on because I'm, like I say, I like being outside this time of year, so I'm always outside. But once I find myself at home, I don't, I watch the History Channel or whatever, and I don't want to keep watching news. So I look for a good show to watch. So Handman's Tale, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, I'm on season two now. Of, ah, good, man, good. Yeah, and I just and um I just seen Gotti from '96, that one for the first time. That was on TV, wasn't it? That was originally on TV. Is that is that um what's his name? Um, oh, he was in Heat. What the hell is his name? Armante, Arm- Armande. Oh uh, no, uh, okay, that's Armando Sante. Yeah, yeah. That, Got he right because uh, then they right, but then there was another one. I'm pretty sure they did it on TV as well. Nah, I didn't see the the other one. That just came out a couple of years ago. Oh, it just came out for that you can stream it, that you can yeah. watch it that way. Yeah. Uh, I like on the Sante. He was on the Deuce. He did a few episodes of the Deuce. He was. I don't remember him being. On he there. played uh, James Franco's father. Oh yeah, right, right. The father. A couple of episodes that way, yeah, yeah. And um, there, who's the other guy? Man, I can't think of his name. Who played in? Uh, you saw Saving Private Ryan? Nah, I never seen that. Oh, you never seen it? Oh, that's a good one. You should see that. I'm trying to think of the. I'm trying to think of. You know, a lot of people uh, was getting on me because I never saw Grease. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you something, man? When that movie came out, I went to the drive-in to see it. And, you know, I mean, you don't see too many drive-ins anymore, but they still had a bunch of drive-ins around. And it was like a great drive-in summer movie, man. And so everybody loved it because it was like, you know, it's just this goofy movie. And I was in high school. So, shit, that's how old I am. But she just died, huh? Olivia Newton-John, she just died. But you I'm should see it. You... What's that? I'm going to try and watch it. I just can't find it. I was looking for it yesterday so people can, can like get off my back. <laughs> They're really busting your balls, huh? No, you should watch it because it's kind of an American classic. You know, it's goofy. I mean, it's fun. The songs are fun. I mean, you know, and she was, 
Yeah, she just passed away. Ray Liotta passed away, right? I yeah. mean, Ray Liotta just, you know, recently. Uh -huh. um, and Paul Savino. Maybe you're talking about some guys who really made some all great actors in their own right, not just mob things, but they made their mark as mob characters, you know? So. You know, I, so, I wanted to go to that diner from Goodfellas, but I think it's closed now. The one by the airport? No, I think it might still be there, man. It's right along the Grand Central Parkway. The airliner diner. Really, I might go check it out again. Because last time I sure. passed by, by there, it, it was closed. So I'm, I was well, sure it was closed that day or just closed in general. Well, just so you know, just so you know, because um, I, you know, I'll fly out of LaGuardia a lot. But then again, I wasn't flying because of all the COVID stuff and, and everything. But you could, you pass it, you know, on the, um, yeah. when you go back from, you know, from there. I'd be surprised if it closed, but maybe, you know, maybe it became a, uh, maybe it was a victim of the whole COVID restaurant closed down stuff, you know, because it's no, been there forever. I hope not, man. COVID messed up everything. Yeah, COVID messed up everything, except you know what it did? It put you on a podcast, man. Oh, yeah. So I, So you made, so you took some lemons, you made some lemonade out of, out of those lemons, man. That's one bright spot. Yeah, good for you, man. Seriously, good for you. Thanks, man. Listen, so I got to tell you something. I really enjoy your podcast. I'm, I know I drone on and I go off in the tangents and everything else, but, I, you know, it felt easy just talking with you. So I, I really appreciate it. This is great. And best of luck with all everything that you're doing and continued success with this. All right. All right. Thanks again, Mike.